How you guys doing tonight? That's what I'm talking about. Yes. Well, I'm pumped. If you're here tonight, we're so glad that you're here. We're blessed that you're here with us tonight. And uh, we want you to know that every night when you come into this place, it is our mission, our goal. It is who we are to help connect you with other people and to help connect you to the king of the universe, the king of kings and lord of lords, to Jesus Christ himself. And so tonight, I want to talk to you about some things that I think are going to be challenging to you and are going to, and are going to bring some things into light that I think you need to understand stand as a student, as a high school student uh, in your life and in your faith. And so uh, we, you know, if you've been following along with us, you were here last week, we started a new series last week called Flipped. And the series Flipped is all about uh, dealing with an issue that is prominent in our culture. And here's the issue. The issue is, is that in our culture, students are looked down upon. Young people are looked down upon. In fact, we have people that make excuses for us when things happen. Oh, they just, they're just young. They just do stupid things. I mentioned last week an example of when my brother ran a cop off the road and he ran from the police and uh, the cops called up to him and he got arrested and all kinds of bad stuff happened to him as a result of that. And, uh, and my, my dad was just kind of like, hey, man, you know, like when kids are young, they just do stupid things. And what happens is, is that the bar is set so low for us that the standard, the expectations are set low to, so low for us is that we actually just rise right to the expectations that are there for us. And we start to think, hey, now I'm young. Now's my time to live it up. Now's my time to do what I want to do, to live how I want to live. And then one day when I get older, then I will get things right. I will make the things where I need to make things. And, and then I'll start making mature decisions and I'll start making, taking responsibility for my life and for my actions. But the interesting thing is, is that when you open up the pages of the Bible, when you look at Scripture, you see a completely different picture. That God not only uses young people, but at times it seems like he prefers to use them. Almost to show his power through them that he takes the small things to do great things out of. And I gave you a few examples last week, like King David, who was the greatest king in Israel's history. But before he was king, at 15 years old, when no man in Israel's army, not even the king Saul himself, would stand up to the Philistine warrior Goliath, David, at 15 years old, a shepherd boy, stood up to Goliath and defeated him, 15 years old. What we know in script, through Scripture is, is that Mary, the mother of Jesus, who God chose to raise his son, his one and only son, the virgin birth, through Mary, what we know about her is that she was around 13 to 14 years old when she gave birth to Jesus, meaning that she raised Jesus in the first five to six years of his life as a teenager. We know that the disciples were all teenagers except for maybe Peter. Every single one of them. We know this through rabbinical tradition that a rabbi would ask people to follow him and he would begin to pour into them and invest in them into the best and brightest uh, starting at age 12 years old. However, these guys were not selected by rabbis, so they were working in their father's business. They were not the sharpest of the sharp guys. And this is who Jesus decides to call out. He calls these fishermen and these tax collectors and all these people, this montage ragtag group of guys that he pours into and invests three years of his life into these teenagers and they turned the world upside down through the message that they carried. God is in a habit of using people who are young. And this is what I know about your life. This is not a time for you to burn it. This is a time for you to build it. 
Right now is a time for you to step up. Right now is the time for you to make a difference. God has placed you specifically and strategically in the place that he has placed you right now so that he can do an unbelievable work in you and through you, through the people that you're around. And you have to believe that. And I love what Paul challenges young Timothy a young guy that Paul had been mentoring and raising up. Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ. He writes about half of the New Testament that we have today. And he has this conversation with young Timothy. And, and he tells him this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12. We're going to put it up on the screens. And this is what it says. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for all believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. He tells Timothy, hey, listen, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Even though the world may set the bar low, even though the expectations may be low, even though you think your voice cannot be heard, don't listen to that nonsense because God's got a plan. And instead, step up to a higher bar and be an example to those around you, not only to your peers, but also to adults in five areas, in speech, which we talked about last week, in conduct in faith, in love, and in purity. And tonight, we're going to jump in to one of the other five that he tells us to be an example in. That if you can learn how to win and be an example in these areas, then God can use you to turn to flip or flip your world upside down. And so, we're going to talk about faith tonight. If you got your Bibles, you can open up to Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible under your chair. Feel free to pull that out. If you don't, if you want to, don't know where Hebrews is, uh, there is uh, on your note guide there. It tells you exactly the page number where you can turn to. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11. It's towards the end of your Bible. And we're going to read Hebrews chapter 11. Now, when we talk about faith, I think one of the first things we need to do is we need to define it. What does faith mean? What is the concept of faith? What does that even look like? And so uh, the Bible defines it for us. It tells us exactly what faith is. And I want to read this to you, and then I want to explain it to you a little bit so that you can understand it. So this is what it says, verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So listen, he's saying, listen, look, there's some things that you don't see and we just have faith in it. Like you don't see God. You can't see God in this room right now, but, but we have faith that God exists. And so what happens is I have people say this, this to me all the time. They'll say things like, well, if God would just show himself in the room, then I would believe. If God would just like appear in front of me right now, and this is what I would say. I would say the Bible is clear that God has revealed himself in so many different areas. God has revealed himself through creation. God has revealed himself through his word. And over and over and over again, there's evidence upon evidence upon evidence to back up an intelligent designer. Not only that, but there's evidence to back up all the claims of the Bible. And if you ever want to have a conversation about this, I love having these conversations. Come and find me. We can have some great conversations about that kind of stuff. And we can talk about some of that evidence. And we'll talk about some of that as you come here to H12 and you begin to grow grow and you begin to learn and you begin to visit here. We'll talk about some of that stuff. But there's tons of evidence for that. But I'll tell you what, you won't. See, there was a, there's an interesting passage in Luke chapter 16. Jesus tells a story of this guy Lazarus and a rich young ruler. 
And we don't know if Jesus was kind of telling this like uh, as like a parable. He's just telling this story or if it's kind of actually how it is. But, but he explains there's this rich young ruler and he dies and he goes to hell. And Lazarus dies and he goes to what they call, what he calls Abraham's bosom or paradise. Now, that's bosom's a funny word, huh? Anyways, and I said bosom and everybody, I just lost everybody. Anyways, and so, he, so he's in paradise. And so he's up there. He's with Abraham. And it's kind of this picture that like he's in heaven and, and the rich young ruler's in hell. And, it, and there's this great gap, this great gulf fixed gulf fix between them. And, and the rich young ruler is looking up and he sees Lazarus and he sees Abraham in heaven and he says, man, is there any way that you could just take like some water and put it on my parched tongue? This is, this is torture. And, and, and he says, no, nah, I'm sorry, I can't do that. He says, well, if you cannot help me, can you please go back, send Lazarus back from there? Can you send them back? Can you tell all of my friends, all of my family and everybody that I know, can you send them back from the dead and tell everybody that I know that they don't want to go here? And Abraham responds and he says this. Actually, I'll read you exactly what he says. I wrote it down. Abraham responds and he says this. They have Moses and the prophets or the scriptures. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. That if in your heart of hearts and in your mind you've just determined that, you know, there is no God, there is no faith, there is no whatever, what he's saying here is, is that, is that it doesn't matter what evidence you see, you will be blind to it. But we know, and, and, we, and so it's, he tells us here in Hebrews 12 that it's, that it's unseen, that we know that God is unseen, but we can see the move of God happening all over the place. We can experience and feel the move of God happening in our heart. I've experienced that many times myself in my life. But I want to focus in on this. Notice what he says. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for. Confidence in what we hope for. There's this confidence in Jesus. There's this confidence in the future. There's this confidence that God has us. There's this confidence that no matter the circumstances that are going on in my life, whether good, whether bad, or whether indifferent, God has a plan for my life. And there's hope. There's always hope. Never buy the lie that there is no hope. There's always hope. And that's what faith does. Faith leads us to hope. Now, let me explain this to you, and I want to I flesh this out as we, as we talk about this. The truth is, is that in the English language, uh, we use three different words to kind of describe or define faith uh, when we're talking about it. And so people will say things like, well, you know, you need to have faith in Jesus. And, and, or, or people will say, they'll use John 3.16, and they'll say, whosoever believes shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so you have faith, you have beliefs, or I'm just going to call it belief. They, uh, you have belief, and then, and then you have what we call trust. Have you put your trust in Jesus? Now, these, these words in the English language sort of mean different things. Let me explain what I mean by that. Faith is very much feelings-driven. It's very much feelings-driven. And when we think about faith, we think about this idea that it is about eradicating all doubt. Have you ever seen someone do that faith fall test where people come over and someone stands on the stage and they fall backwards and someone catches it? Right, yeah, and you did that, right? Somebody did that one time when you were here. Like, we've seen the faith fall test and, like, your heart gets going. You're like, man, they better catch me or I'm going to kill them type of thing. You know what I'm saying? And we do that faith fall test type of thing. And, and, and the whole idea is, is people will picture that and they'll say, huh, see, that's faith. Because faith is not doubting. That's what faith is. And although faith 
is, although that is a part of it, that is not a complete definition of faith. That is a little bit incomplete. Because what happens is, is that when we have that definition of faith, we begin to have faith in faith and not faith in God. We begin to have faith in faith and not faith in God. Let me explain what I mean. I want to read something to you. The book is called 10 Dumb Things Smart Christians Believe. What a great book. (laughs) 10 Dumb Things Smart Christians Believe. Chapter number one is faith can fix anything. What happens is that we put faith in faith. And I want to read this to you. Follow along because this will be helpful to understand this. I'll never forget one day, this is the the author writing, I'll never forget one day my wife and I stopped by a local hospital for what we knew was going to be our last visit with a friend named Susan. For three years, Susan had put up a vigilant fight against a disease that was now in its last stages. Her labored breathing, gaunt figure, and deep-set eyes made it painfully obvious that she would not be around much longer. As we sat by her bed wondering what to say and how to pray, I was stumped. I'm a pastor, and I'm supposed to know what to say in these situations, but before I could say anything profound or trite or awkward silence, our awkward silence was broken by the entrance of Susan's husband, John, into the room. We exchanged hugs and a quick greeting. Then John began to talk. He spoke of the plans that he and Susan had for the future, not in regretful reflection of what could have been, but with powerful conviction of what was yet to be. It was weird. Susan lay there barely cognizant, struggling for each breath, seemingly hours from death, yet her husband stood inches away. Her husband stood inches away talking about future vacations, a kitchen remodel, their retirement years, as if the four of us were hanging out at a backyard barbecue. While John and Susan had often spoke of their confidence in God's ability to heal, they were, this was different. He wasn't talking about an insurance that she could be healed. He was describing his absolute certainty that she would be healed. He didn't have an ounce of doubt. It was already a done deal. Then he told us what happened. That morning, while prayer for Susan's healing, he had been overcome with a powerful sense of God's presence and a deep conviction that God had answered his prayer. And as he continued to pray, biblical passages proclaiming God's protection and care flowed to his mind. And he felt as if God had physically reached down and touched him, whispering in his ear, I've heard you, she'll be okay. Brimming with confidence, he figured he'd arrived at the epitome of faith because he had absolute assurance of what he hoped was going to be his reality. He was, a, he, was, he was as giddy as a prospector who just tapped into the mother load. I didn't know what to say. Could it be that God was up to something big? Were we about to witness a miracle? Was John's faith going to pull her back from the jaws of death? I wasn't sure. He was absolutely certain. And that night she breathed her last breath. John was devastated, and for years after Susan's death, he limped along spiritually. Disillusionment with God, prayer, and the impotence of faith. That is the story that the pastor hears all too often. Someone following after God and then something happens in the midst of tragedy and they walk away from God, disillusioned with faith. And what happens is is that we can begin to put our faith in faith. We can begin to think that that, uh, God is supposed to answer us with a yes or we cannot have faith in him. And I remember that there, were, there was uh, most of my life, actually, even uh, a lot of the years after I became a Christian, I associated my faith with what God would do. 
that the ministry would just grow bigger if I just had more faith. That when I was praying for something and it was praying for someone to get healed because I know God can heal and the Bible tells us God can heal. But then that person did get healed. And I was like, did I just not have enough faith in that moment? Was my faith contingent upon the move of God? And the truth is, the answer to that question is no. That is not biblical. That is not biblical. See, sometimes we can even get upset with ourselves and we can get upset about certain situations and we think that, man, if I'd had more faith in that situation, that wouldn't have happened. And what we have to understand is in James chapter 1 where the Bible tells us don't doubt, believe and don't doubt. And we hear that don't doubt phrase and we're like, oh, man, well, that means that I can't, I can't doubt and I got I to make sure that, you know, if I, if I do, then God's not going to answer my prayers. And actually what James is saying is he's saying, listen, don't doubt why you're praying because you have to trust God with the results. I don't doubt because if I doubt, then God's not going to answer my prayer. I don't doubt because whether he answers it the way I want him to answer it or not, I trust God with the results because God knows better and he has plans and purposes that are greater and better than anything that I could ever want or imagine for myself and for anyone else and for his kingdom. And so I have to trust God with the results. That's what faith is. Faith, not doubting, is saying, God, you know what? I'm praying for healing because I know that you can heal. At the end of the day, if you heal or whether you don't heal, it's not going to rock my faith. It's not going to do anything to my faith because my faith is not contingent upon my feelings. My faith isn't contingent upon one little thing on whether you answer it the way that I want you to answer it. I hope that makes sense because I'm telling you that paralyzed me in my faith. There's actually a story in Acts chapter 12 where God actually answers the prayers of people who are doubting. Peter gets thrown into prison like the day before James, one of the other disciples, has been killed. And you can imagine the church is in an uproar because now two of, its, two of the disciples, the original disciples, their leaders, are, are now being prosecuted. And, and, and Peter's facing death as well. And the church gathers in his house and they begin to pray. And while they're praying, God literally opens up the gates to the prison, wakes Peter up and says, hey bro, you can walk out if you want. And Peter gets up and he walks out of the jail and he walks down this road and he's like, dude, this is weird. This is crazy. God just let me out of jail. And he goes to the house where the church is praying and he knocks on the door and this hilarious scene breaks out. This lady named Rhonda comes up and she opens the door and she sees Peter and she freaks out like, oh my goodness. And she runs back into the room and she's like, hey, Peter's out there. Peter's out there. And I want you to notice what it says their response was. Peter knocked at the door, outer entrance. This is Acts 12, verse 3. And a servant named Rhonda came to the answer of the door. She recognized Peter's voice, and she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening the door and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. This is what the people said back to her. Remember, they're praying that he will get out of prison, that he will get out of jail. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting it was so, they insisted it must be his angel. But Peter kept knocking. Peter's just sitting out there knocking on the door. People, what, like, what's going on? <laughs> Let me in. They're going to come and find me again and arrest me. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him, and they were astonished. Why were they astonished? They were astonished because they didn't f fully, truly believe that God was going to answer that prayer. They were doubting, but God still answered that prayer. The second word we're going to look at is belief. In the English language, we use the word belief. Now, belief is uh, very much intellectually driven. Intellectually driven. Or your intellect. 
That's what belief is. And so we say we believe something if we believe it to plausibly be true. That if we look at the pieces of the evidence, we say, I believe. So people say they believe in all kinds of things, right? Like they say, people say, like, I believe in Bigfoot. I believe in UFOs, right? I believe in, in creation. I believe in evolution. I believe in, I believe in God. And people will say things all the time like they believe in different things. And literally what they're saying is, is that I can intellectually believe and think that something could plausibly be true. And this is the problem, I think, in the American church, particularly in the Bible Belt in the South. There's all these people walking around going, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God, but truthfully, all it is is their acknowledgement that God exists mentally, but it's never engaged their heart. That's all it is. It's just a mental exercise. And we do this all the time. We think that God might exist that it might plausibly be true that God exists. And so this is why we hold to this. And the last one is this. The last one is trust. Now, trust is very much response-driven or what I would say action-driven. Like, there's no such thing as trust without action. Like, for example, if I said, if I said hey, honey, talking to my wife, because uh, that'd be weird if I was talking to somebody else, um, <laughs> except for Coy, and... Uh, I mean, and, uh, and so if I'm talking to my wife and I say, hey, honey, hey, honey, um, I, I need to see your phone. I need to go through um, all, everybody who's texted you and called you over the last two days. And, and, and honey, I'm going to put this tracking device on your car so I know where you're at at all times. And, hey, honey, would that communicate that I trusted my wife? No, my actions would communicate that. If a mom says, honey, I trust you to her daughter, yet she tells her daughter, um, uh, your curfew is 7 o'clock on the weekends and you're not allowed to go anywhere. Well, then her mom, by her actions, is saying that I don't trust you. And so trust is very much this action-oriented thing. And here's the deal. I want you to hear this. Catch this. All of this is for a reason. This whole conversation is a reason. Don't miss this. This is the crux of it. The truth is, is that, that faith Belief and trust are three different English words that kind of lean towards one or the other. And this is what I can tell you. Every person in this room leans towards one or the other. For me, it's belief. It's intellect. I, I think with my mind. I love uh, things that, that get my mind going, things that challenge my thinking. I love that kind of stuff. For other people, they connect much better with God through their heart. For other people, it's through serving and, and getting out there and, and doing stuff for people. But I want you to hear this, that whatever one you lean into, you need to understand this, that in the Greek language, what the New Testament was written, every time faith, belief, and trust are mentioned in the entire New Testament, it comes from the exact same Greek word, root word. What that means is this, is that there is no concept of faith that does not engage the heart or the core of your feelings, the mind, or your action, what we call your strength, what you do. In other words, there's no such thing as a faith that, that your mind is not engaged in. There's no such thing in a, as a faith that has no action. This is the reason later on in James, James says, faith without works is dead. There's no concept of a faith that does not do something. The faith is all-encompassing. 
Jesus is confronted by this lawyer, and this lawyer says, what is the greatest commandment? Now listen, when someone comes to Jesus and they say, what is the greatest anything, and Jesus is about to answer, it is time for us to perk our ears up and listen. He says, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, Jesus says, and he points him all the way back to the scriptures as Abraham did to the rich young ruler earlier. And he says this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all your strength. That is the greatest commandment. There is this is what unlocks a relationship with God. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, For it is by grace, grace being the move of God towards us, receiving what we do not deserve. It is by grace through faith that you were saved. That when you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, you are literally saying, I have submitted my heart, my mind, and my strength. I have submitted my faith, my belief, and my trust. I have submitted my feelings, my intellect, and my action to everything that is who God is in my life. That's what it's about. That's what Christianity is about. This is the core of it. So when we have a conversation about faith, it's important that we define those terms. Now I want to give you a visual to show you how we are an example of faith. Let me show you how we flesh this out. Let me show you how we're an example. And, and I picture faith like a rope. Like a climbing rope. Now, uh, anybody in here, rock climbers or climbers, anybody in here do that? You know what I'm saying? Okay, cool. When I was in college, I did a lot of rock climbing and, and, and loved it and, and had to get certified and all that stuff because I worked at this camp. And uh, I was never a great rock climber, but I liked to do it. <laughs> and uh, and this, is, this is a static rope or a climb, climbing rope that the climbers use. Now, now, this rope right here can certainly support my weight and anybody's weight in this room. And these things are pretty amazing. And, and actually, if you watched the video when you were coming in tonight and they were doing some crazy stuff on there, this is the type of rope that they would use. And, 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 so, um, and so what happens is, is that, and I'll, and I'll explain it to you like this. Let's say that your faith is represented by this rope. Now, the truth is everybody has different size faiths, right? Some people have great faith. They have, they have faith that can hold you up. And, and other people's faith, you know, uh, you know it's kind of like this. You know what I'm saying? It, it's just not quite as strong. Now, your faith is what holds you up. So it's important that your faith is strong. It's important that we understand this, that we dive into this. And this is what happens. What happens is, is that this is what many, most of our faiths look like. This is what a lot of our faith looks like. And so as a result, in our life, all the time, every time we're, we're stepping off to do something, you know, our faith just is breaking. And we keep falling to the ground. And we keep going, man, I, I don't know why my life's in this place. I don't know why I'm going through all these things. And, and, and it's because our faith is so fragile, it's so weak. And others of us, like a climber would use this rope, man, we, we've been building up our faith. But let me, let me and you have strong faith. In fact, you have, you have really strong faith. But I want to say this to you, and I want you to catch this. Don't miss this. Your faith is important. The rope is important. But what it's anchored into is way more important. Listen, it does not matter how strong this rope is. This rope can support my weight. And, and I like to picture, because I'm adventurous, I like to picture life like a mountain or like a cliff. And, and let's just pretend like this stage is a cliff. And this rope is important, but if I wrap this rope around my waist and then I tied it to this chair right here, 
and I jumped off the mountain, I would be in trouble. Why? Because I weigh 200 pounds, and that weighs like, like 10 pounds. Like, I would be in trouble. What happens is if I anchor myself into something that is not big enough to hold me up, I'm going to fall on my face every time. And listen, this is what I see students doing. They anchor themselves, and they tie it to a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And they put all their faith into that relationship. And they think that's going to hold them up. This is what makes me happy. Yeah, it's always exciting and always happy when you're at the top of the mountain. And then you go and you step off the side and the relationship dissolves. And not only does the relationship fall apart, but you fall apart. And you fall flat on your face and your heart's broken. And you're like, life is terrible. And I can't believe that this person would hurt me like this. And I can't believe that I have to go through it. God, you don't love me. If you loved me, this person wouldn't have broke up with me. And God's going, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's not my fault that you anchored your life and your faith into a relationship. People anchor their faith in themselves. Hey, man, I can do it. I'm strong enough to do it, man. It's my thing. I'm going to pull myself out of this. I can quit doing that. I can quit doing drugs. I can quit doing it. I can quit looking at porn. Uh, You know what? I can do it, man. I'm strong enough. I can do it. And we anchor ourselves. We anchor our rope to ourselves. And all it is is just anchoring ourselves to something that's not sufficient. And let me say this. If you anchor yourself into anything smaller than Jesus, you will fall flat on your face, period. He is the only thing that you can anchor yourself in to hold yourself up. People anchor it into sports. I did that. People anchor it into all kinds of things in their life. And then what happens? You get injured. You lose your sport. And life is not worth living. And I will submit to you this because... The sad reality is I have to counsel with these type of conversations all the time because it's just the world we live in. But at the source of every person who decides to take their life, commit suicide, at the source of everyone that I've ever met, heard of, had the conversations with, walked through stuff with, or been on the back end of it after they've committed suicide, here it is. Every one of them, it is that they've anchored themselves in something other than Jesus. And when they lost it, they fell and they kept falling and they had no way of turning it around. And students, I'm here to tell you that if you want to be an example in faith, other people around you need to know and need to see you anchoring your life into Jesus. Because what happens is is that when you've anchored your life into Christ and he can hold you up and sustain you and then people are falling down all around you and they're like, man, what do I do? Like you seem, like it seems, like your life seems to be different than mine. Like you don't seem to have all the bumps and bruises and scratches. You don't seem to be as beat up and as bloody as I am. And you can say, man, you know what? Your rope, you you got a big old rope over there. It's the same size as mine. It might even be bigger because you have more faith in your boyfriend than I have in God. But you know what? I'm growing in that. But the truth is at the end of the day, At the end of the day, if you don't anchor your faith in Jesus, it doesn't matter. You're going to keep falling. And that's the truth. That is the truth. So you say, how do I anchor myself deeper into Jesus? Well, first off, I'd say this. If you've never given your 
life to Jesus, you've never surrendered it to him, then you need to do that. You need to give him your full heart, your full mind, your full strength, all that you are and everything you are. You need to surrender your life to him. That is, that is what you need to do. You can come and talk to one of the leaders. You can come and talk to me. You can make that decision in your seat. We would love to talk you through that. I don't think that's something that you should ever do on your own. Not that you can't do it on your own. It's just faith is not meant to be lived by yourself. The second thing I would say to that is that um, you need to build your faith. For those of you that say, you know what, I've anchored myself into Jesus, but to be honest with you, Derek, man, I, I relate a lot more to that, that little rope that you got up there, that little string, that, that thing that, that just breaks all the time. You know what you need to do? You need to put yourself in an environment where your faith can grow. Like a life group. We have life groups here that meet 12 weeks in the fall, 12 weeks in the spring, we actually have our life group kickoff party next Sunday night. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. We're so excited for it. We've never done a life group kickoff party here at the church on the first week of life groups. We got some cool stuff we're going to do that night. We got some food. We got all kinds of things. It's going to be a great, amazing night that night. But here's the deal. We're doing the life group kickoff party because we want to create a better experience in life group. We're changing up some of the things we're doing in life groups where actually in the life group, we're going to be talking about the message from Tuesday night. There's going to be questions and a recap from Tuesday night, which we've never done that before. And, but here's the deal. I want you to listen in. Here's the deal. Life groups are all about going deeper in your walk with God. And I'll tell you this because I, I have no shame in saying this because this environment is for everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're seeking, if you're discovering, if you're trying to figure out God, you're trying to figure out the answers to some questions, you want to come and talk to a pastor, uh, you're encouraged by it, you like hanging out with the people, your girlfriend comes, we don't care why you come here. But listen, for those people that choose to go to life groups, we want them to be the people that are serious about going deeper in their walk with God. Life groups are not a place that your parents can make you go to. Because we want it to be the people that are serious about going deeper with God. And this is an environment we create for you students. So you can have that. And you're going to talk about your big struggles in your life. And you're going to have people pray for you. You're going to have people keep you accountable. And listen, these groups are built on confidentiality. We say this, if you share something that is shared inside of that group, outside of that group, you're no longer in that group. You're out. You say, well, this is a church. We're, kicking people. We're not kicking you out of the church. We're not kicking you out of age 12. We're just saying you can't come back to life group. That's how important that environment is to us. And let me tell you something. Let me, let me tell you something, men. You hear me, men? The Bible tells us that iron sharpens iron. And we live in a world that is absent of male leadership. All of the studies and statistics tell us that and show us that. And a part of that is because we are prideful and we are like, like thinking that we can do it on our own and we put our faith in ourselves. And man, I wanna challenge you specifically to sign up for life groups. You need a band of brothers that are gonna come around you, that are going to encourage you, they're gonna talk about stuff in your life. Y'all stop playing back there. And they're gonna talk about stuff in your life that's gonna challenge you and work and, and, and just take you to the next level. Men, we need that. Ladies, you need it too. We all need it. I know what the fear is, ladies. Some of you, some of you, and this isn't in my notes. I'm just going on a tangent right now, and it's fine because I'm on the stage and I can do that. <laughs> ladies, listen. 
I know it's scary being in a group with other girls and being open about things in your life that you have going on when you know that there's things going on because you're afraid that those girls are going to share stuff outside of that group. And you know, just like I just said, that we keep that in confidentiality. And that's why I'm telling you, ladies, that this group isn't for everyone. It's for the serious people so that you know when you go there, you can trust that the girls in that group are not a bunch of catty girls that are going to go talk a bunch of smack behind your back. Can I hear an amen? All right. And girls, we're going to keep it that way. We're going to keep it safe. No one is open and honest unless it's safe. And unless you're open and honest, you're wasting your time because you're not going to get anything out of it. So that's what life groups are about. The second thing is, man, you need, you need to be pressing in deeper in your walk with God. You need to get into the Word. If you need a place to start, start in John chapter 1. And just start reading. Read the Gospel of John. You say, man, I've read the Gospel of John, but I I haven't read anything else. All right, go to the book of Ephesians. Start out small. You don't have to read a chapter a day, which it would literally take you less than three minutes to read one chapter in the Bible. Nobody said you had to read the whole chapter by next week. Just get in God's Word. Let God begin to speak to your heart. Let Him begin to challenge you through His Word. Begin to deepen your faith in Him. Begin to develop and build a thicker faith, a, a thicker rope, per se. And make sure it's anchored in Christ alone. So, Father, I want to pray over these students tonight. And I ask God that you would just work in their hearts, that you would build up in them a strong faith. A faith that is unshakable and unwavering. And, Lord, I know there's students in this room that have been rocked by certain situations in their life. Maybe for them... Like me, they've thought that the reason something didn't happen the way it happened is because their faith wasn't big enough. And maybe tonight for them, the biggest thing they heard was, that takes a load off. And God, I just want to pray over these students as they get ready for life groups. I pray that tonight after connection groups, they would go get connected to a life group, get signed up. And, Lord, it would be a powerful semester in their lives that they would be challenged, encouraged, and drawn near. And, Lord, as we continue this series, God, I'm so excited about next week and the week after and and what we got going over these next few weeks. Lord, man, I am so pumped. And I just pray, God, that your spirit and your presence would just be rich in this place and in us. And, God, that it wouldn't end here, that when we walked out these doors tonight, that, Lord, your presence would be all over us and we would take that everywhere we go and that we would be an example in our speech and we would be an example in our faith because it's anchored in you. And we would be an example in our conduct and we would be an example in purity and we would be an example in love. God, to every person that we come into contact with, God, I pray that right now. In Jesus' name, amen.